This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I'm your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, I'm going to be looking at David Cronenberg's 1999 sci-fi mindfuck, Existence. Starring Jennifer Jason Lee and Jude Law. I've covered Cronenberg here on the pod before when I talked about Crash. I absolutely love Cronenberg's work. Not a surprise because I absolutely love body horror. So I'm always excited when I have a chance to talk about his work. It's been really influential, not just in my love of horror, but in my relationship to horror and disability. So... It really has a special place in my heart, and I think it's always a really cool thing to kind of bring it here to the pod. So, with that said, let's get into Existence. There's an intimacy involved in playing Existence that is beyond description. In the not-too-distant future... Allegra Geller has created the ultimate escape. The possibilities are so great. This is amazing. A parallel universe called Existence. Now I'm warning you. It's going to be a wild ride. It taps into your deepest emotions. You're the power source. Your body, your nervous system, your energy. It unleashes your wildest urges. Myself. I've got a serious urge to kill someone here. Do it. It's just a game. But it's the first genuine threat to reality. It's a lot more fun when it starts feeling realer than real. And someone wants it stopped at all costs. You're worth a lot of money. Five million dollars for your dead body. Step into my office. Allegra, we need help. The only way I can tell if everything's okay is to play Existence with somebody friendly. Are you friendly? Play with me. Something's wrong. Oh, God. What happened? Let's come back here with us. make our way through this plot synopsis. In the near future, biotechnological virtual reality game consoles known as game pods have replaced electronic ones. The pods present ombicords, and these are things that attach to bioports, which are connectors surgically inserted into the player's spines. Two companies, 
and cannon research and cortical systematics are competing against each other. In addition, a group of fanatics called Realist fight both companies to prevent the deforming of reality. And Hannah Research's Allegra Geller, a world-renowned game designer, is demonstrating her latest virtual reality game, Existence, to a focus group. A realist named Noel Dykter shoots Allegra in the shoulder with an organic pistol he smuggled past security. As the security team guns down Dykter, security guard and publicist Ted Peichel rushes to Geller and escorts her outside. Geller discovers that her pod, which contains the only copy of Existence, may have been damaged. Peichel reluctantly agrees to have a bioport installed in his spine so they can jointly test the game's integrity. Allegra takes them to a gas station run by a black marketer named Gas, who deliberately installs a faulty bioport. He reveals his intention to kill Geller for the bounty on her head. Peichel kills Gas, and the two escape to a former ski lodge used by Kiri Vonnegar, Geller's mentor. Vonnegar and his assistant repair the damaged pod and give Peichel a new bioport. Geller and Peichel enter the game and meet with Darcy Nader, a video game shop owner who provides them with new micropods. They activate the new pods and enter a deeper layer of virtual reality. They assume new identities as workers in a game pod factory. Another worker in the factory, Evgeny Nourish, claims to be their realist contact. At a Chinese restaurant near the factory, Nourish recommends that they order the special for lunch. Peichel eats the unappetizing special and constructs a pistol from the inedible parts. He sarcastically threatens Geller, then shoots the Chinese waiter. When the pair return to the game store, Hugo Carlaw informs them that Nourish is actually a double agent for cortical systematics, and the waiter Peichel murdered was the actual contact. At the factory, they find a diseased pod. Geller connects it to her bioport, planning to infect the other pods and sabotage the factory. When Geller quickly becomes ill, Peichel cuts the umbicord, but she begins to bleed to death. Nourish appears with a flamethrower and blasts the diseased pod, which bursts into deadly spores. Geller and Peichel awaken back at the ski lodge, where they discover Geller's game pod is also diseased. Geller surmises that Vonnegar must have infected Peichel's new bioport to destroy her game, and she inserts a disinfecting device into Peichel's bioport. Unexpectedly, Carla reappears as a realist resistance fighter and escorts Geller and Peichel outside to witness the death of Existence. Before Carla uh, can kill Geller, Vonnegar, who is a double agent for cortical systematics, shoots him in the back and informs her that he copied her game data while fixing her pod. She then vengefully kills Vonnegar. Peichel then reveals that he himself is a realist sent to kill her. Geller tells Peichel she had known his intentions since he pointed the gun at her in the Chinese restaurant and she remotely detonates the disinfecting device in his bioport, killing him. 
Suddenly, Keiko and Geller are seated in chairs in a small abandoned church, seeing rows of pews as they come to, together with all of their other members of the cast. And they're all wearing these blue electronic virtual reality devices, which we see at the very end of the last segment when uh, existence is dying before we flash into the church. Nourish explains that he that the story was all part of a virtual reality game he designed called Transcends. He tells his assistant Merle that he feels uneasy because the anti-game plot elements may have originated from the thoughts of one of the testers. Michael and Geller approach Nourish and accuse him of distorting reality before shooting him and Merle to death as Michael and Geller leave. They aim their guns at the person who played the Chinese waiter, who first pleads for his life, then asks if they are still in the game. Peichel and Geller stand together silently, not answering. I told you, it was a bit of a mindfuck. So I think we need to take a moment and appreciate that this film came out in 1999, the same year that The Matrix came out. Because I think both films are really looking at what was at top of so many people's minds as we were approaching the millennium. And that is the kind of fear of tech and the concern about how tech would advance and shape and alter our sense of reality. And so... This film is obviously dealing really heavily with that theme, pushing it to a place where often there isn't any way to really differentiate both as a viewer of the film and for the characters in the film to really put a point on, well, are we in the game or not? Which I think is why that last line is really, really important and really, really poignant to, I think, the point that Cronenberg is really trying to make. But, now before you think that I've completely veered from my lane, I want to assure you I haven't. I think why this film is so interesting to me is that it serves as a phenomenal example of a film that really isn't about disability, but there are so many connections and themes to explore that I think are so relevant and pertinent to the conversation. And so I thought that this would be a good film to kind of uh, use as an example of, of, of that, I guess. I think the place that we have to start is with the game pods and the umbicords themselves. Because visually, it's really interesting and compelling. So the game pods look essentially kind of almost like a tumor. Uh, it's kind of hard for me to... To really succinctly describe what it looks like but it essentially looks like a very large tumor a mass of flesh we learn that these game pods have been created by using fertilized amphibian eggs that have been injected with synthetic dna material so these game pods are living moving 
beings. So then you have the umbicord. The umbicord is exactly what it sounds like. An umbilical cord looking cord that people put into their bio port that connects from the uh, game pod to the bio port. I think that's why it's important to kind of think of the bio port itself as kind of like a belly button on your lower back. So, which to me just seems awkward because it's not the most convenient place to reach. So, but I'll kind of get into some of that in a minute, but that's kind of the, the construct of these game systems. You have the game pod that looks like a tumor and it moves and gyrates on its own and it reacts to, uh, you know, the, the user touching it. It's how it kind of enters into and activates existence. You have the umbilical cord that is connecting the pod to the person. So for me, I seeing this in 1999, it was really interesting because I had a J-tube. A J-tube is a feeding tube that goes to your small intestine. It's essentially a thin and flexible tube that is placed surgically through an opening in your abdomen. So I just found kind of the whole construct of the system that they have interesting because it felt very much akin to kind of my setup with my J2. I think this really gets to the heart of what really draws me to Cronenberg's work and why I love it so much. He has this very unique approach of taking something that is kind of horrific looking on first blush or horrific sounding and make it normalized and part of the world and, and kind of beautiful and exalted in that way. My feeding tube was something because I had this place when I was in junior high. It was a horrific experience for me and I hated it because I felt that everyone could see it. It made me feel and look different. So if I was, you know, coming out of gym class or if I had just been playing sports and had to go and change and shower, I was just mortified. Where in the worlds that Cronenberg creates, but particularly the one in as in existence, is one where having a belly button on your back is chill. It's fine. So I I kind of appreciate that just overall approach to just how bodies are viewed and valued in the worlds that Cronenberg creates. And I think that's something that's so important within this film. Now, one thing I do need to mention, and this goes back to the description. I, every now and then, will call out the description for doing a really fucking terrible job at a certain detail or sequence within a film. 
But I really need to call out the whole uh, bit about Ted getting his bioport placed by gas because it's a pretty intense scene and I feel a lot of complex ways about it. So it breaks down like this. After the attack at the beginning on Allegra, she notices that her pod has been damaged and in order to see if existence is still functional, she needs to find someone to play with, someone that she has deemed friendly. And this is something that comes up a couple of times. It's someone that you need to be able to trust in a situation where the sense of autonomy and control can feel nebulous. So it is discovered that Ted does not have a bioport installed. So at this point in time, we're in a weird piece of the film where we are questioning the sense of reality. Are we actually within the game or are we in quote unquote reality? So she discovers that Ted doesn't have a bioport installed and so they go to find a person that will be able to do it as Ted I think rightfully points out at midnight and it's illegal so we're not really doing this on the up and up so they find a person that's able to do it gas from the country gas station and it is akin to sexual assault in a lot of ways. So Ted has initially agreed to have the bioport installed. They go, they talk to Gas. Gas begins to prep the procedure by finding the point in the spine that the bioport is going to be inserted. And Ted has some qualms begin to really bubble up. He's asking questions about the procedure, about infections of the site, which I will come back to. Um, but he's obviously really concerned. So they find the spot that the plate, that the bioport will be placed. And Ted is like, okay, well, yeah, that part I wasn't necessarily all that worried about. I'm now worried about the next part, which is, you know, you actually putting the bioport in. And we do a bit of a jump cut to Allegra, who is outside of the country gas station. We follow her around a bit. She finds a two-headed amphibian reptile lizard hybrid, which again begins to make us question what kind of reality if we are in reality um but i digress so she's outside she goes back in and we now see ted and gas kind of uh, ready to attack each other ted has gone from consenting 
to the procedure to saying, I do not want this. At the end of the film, we all call the motives, ideas, and, and I guess actuality of these things into question, but I think it's important that taking this upon its surface level that yes, this is someone that is not wanting to have this procedure done and has no longer consented despite consenting to it previously. Allegra diffuses the situation by calling in gas, you know, kind of off to the side, kind of diverts him, and then goes to Ted and calms him down a little bit. Out of nowhere, gas has come up and has placed the port while Ted was essentially distracted with Allegra. And we find that the procedure has been um, also um, incorporated with painkillers, kind of like an epidural of sorts, so that it's numbing. So he's kind of paralyzed from his lower back down. I don't know, it just brought up so many memories and recollections of being younger and having tests and procedures that I didn't necessarily consent to, although I feel that I come from a huge place of privilege in the fact that I had a parent that was very communicative with anything along those lines that was going on. So after every doctor's appointment, she would sit down and my mom would sit down and talk to me about, you know, this is what the doctor said. Here's, you know, what they're proposing for next steps. What do you think? Here's what I think. So I never necessarily felt like many of those procedures and things were out of my control or consent. I felt very much kind of in the know, at least. But I still didn't necessarily get to make those choices for myself. It was my mom that was signing on the dotted line saying, this is what we're going to do. And at the end of the day, if she had decided that something was in my best interest and maybe I disagreed, she would be the one with the power to say yay or nay. So I, even though the situation is more akin to, uh, I think, consent in different circumstances, it was definitely something that I think hit for me, especially because in this sequence, even though of course it's Cronenberg, so there's going to be a sexual component to it, um, which is also kind of uncomfortable. Um, and definitely, you know, once Allegra plugs in the umbicord uh, to Ted, the, you know, kind of my connection to my own experiences as a kid were completely divorced from that. But I just felt... I don't know. It's It was just something that really resonated with me and reminded me a lot of what I, I think, mentioned when talking about The Exorcist, which is 
being a kid, feeling out of control. And, you know, even in a circumstance where you're able to say, I don't like this, this isn't, I, I, I don't want this. There's really no power that you have in those situations. And the power was kind of stripped from Ted. So that was something that I wanted to point out. And again, I think it's also underscored by the sense that he's kind of an outlier by not having a port. It seems that a majority of folks do. So why wouldn't you have this? And he says, well, I just, I have a fear of kind of surgical penetration. Again, kind of going back to the sexual component that I think Cronenberg embeds in such a very specific and, and masterful way. These were just some of the thoughts that were percolating in my brain as I was watching the scene in the most recent rewatch. And of course, again, I, I do have to come back to the point that this is not the same kind of situation here. There, we're obviously dealing with a completely different scenario with this not being necessarily a medical, a medically necessary procedure. So you have to divorce any kind of immediacy, any kind of, well, this is going to, you know, this is something that my loved one needs for survival. And I'm in a position to make that choice on their behalf. So I'm going to make this choice on their behalf. I know I'm probably rambling a bit, but I do hope that I'm making my my point clear. And that is, I don't want to necessarily make it sound like I'm comparing an apples to apples situation here because clearly I'm not. But watching the scene did kind of invoke some thoughts of consent around these medical procedures and tests. We're just dealing with a lot of different inputs and basically different systems, but kind of the look of them seem similar in, in certain moments. So I, I wanted to mention it, but again, just make it clear, I'm not drawing such distinct parallels here. Um, needless to say, just watching this scene through that particular lens was a bit of a trip. So one thing that I do want to circle back to just for a moment is the genetically engineered amphibians that are used to create the game pods. We never really find out the infrastructure of the umbicords, but we know that the game pods are created by the fertilized eggs of these genetically altered engineered amphibians. And we see them throughout the film in, in different contexts. Our first kind of interaction is, and of course this is without out, outside of the game pod itself, is when Allegra sees the two-headed amphibian lizard animal outside of the gas station. The use of animal tissue and animal organs in medical procedures is something that is common. I know when I had my heart valve replacement surgery, I was given the option of a mechanical valve or one that was synthetic. 
and made from, I believe, pig uh, heart tissue. And I ended up going with mechanical for a number of different reasons, but I think, you know, there's this subgenre of these kind of creating other beings, be them human clones, animals, etc., that we use as basically incubators for organs and tissues for us to just kind of pluck at our need. And I think this is kind of bringing in the ethical arguments around that. Again, can't draw necessarily distinct parallels because medical procedures versus the game console, but something that is part of, I think, a lot of conversation when we're evaluating different treatment and therapy options is, you know, what are we comfortable with and what are the ethics and kind of the behind the scenes things that we need to consider in making these choices. So the last thing I kind of want to bring up around disability in this film is the conversation around infection of the bioport site. This is something that comes up with Ted when he's getting his bioport put in. It's kind of a three-pronged conversation that he has with both Gas and Allegra. And this is really, I think, to me, I kind of chuckled at some of the ridiculousness of this. So Ted posits the question of why don't bioport sites get infected? Like a cut on your arm will get infected because it's, you know, an open hole in your body. So how does that work? And Allegra kind of responds by opening her mouth and saying, you know, your mouth doesn't get infected, so this doesn't get infected. This is hilarious. Here's the thing. All the body openings that we come equipped with as humans are built in such a way to do the job or jobs that they need to do. So they are structured differently. There are different structures. There are different membranes. They're just unique. And to say this hole in your back that we're putting by machine is going to operate the same as your mouth is just ridiculous. But if anyone has ever had any kind of opening, like going back to my J-tube, my J-tube would get infected quite frequently because it was placed in such a place that it was right near where like my pants would hit my waist. So right around the belly button. Friction from clothes that I would wear would cause the skin to break down and would sometimes result in infection. And that's with putting ointment and dressings around the site. So it happens. And if it's, you know, if we're looking at the bioport placement, it would be kind of in a similar area where, you know, if you are wearing a certain 
kind of style of pant or whatever, something that's maybe low rise, that's going to be just constantly rubbing up against this opening in your skin. It's not going to, at best, it's not going to be super comfortable. At its worst, it's going to literally rub up against and break down the skin and cause you a lot of issues. So he's not wrong in bringing this up, but I think for film purposes, film logistic purposes, it was, no, this magically doesn't get infected unless it gets infected in this specific way, which would be the game port made from synthetic materials being uh, infected somehow and thus infecting the user. So, I don't know. I found that just so ridiculous because... Yeah, someone that had to deal with a lot of infections of that particular site, I was like, nah, that's not how it works. It would probably get infected, and you would definitely at least put some kind of dressing over it so that stuff wouldn't just rub up against it and it be absolutely atrociously uncomfortable because even after something heals, you're still going to feel it. And I think that might be a good place to kind of wrap up this episode. This is probably going to be a shorter one because this isn't a film that specifically deals with disability either through a character or a specific disease or condition. But going back to what I mentioned previously in the episode, I think that it's a great example of how your lived experiences can really impact your viewing of the film. And so while someone that doesn't have a disability will really hone in on, I think, probably more of the themes and ideas that Cronenberg really wanted to set forth in making this film, you know, around the complexities of reality and the fear of technology and how that would continue to evolve and impact our sense of reality. I think that being someone with a disability, you're kind of honing in on maybe a couple of different aspects that are particularly interesting and I think relevant to the disability experience overall. So I hope in doing that, that's been at least somewhat interesting. I try to stick to films that deal specifically with a disabled character or, you know, something that's much more clearly extractable in that way. And I thought it would be a nice change of pace to do something a little different and focus on a film that still had a lot of interesting and pertinent and relevant things to say, but was approaching them a little bit differently. As always, thank you so much for listening. It truly means so much. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Anatomy of a Scream feed wherever you listen to podcasts because it's not only where Bodies of Horror has a home, but so many great shows, so many new shows that show up on the regular and you don't want to miss out. And I'm so continually grateful for 
the amount of support and love that the anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad fam has shown. So please make sure that you do that if you haven't already done so. I'm assuming if you are here, you have, but I've got to do my due diligence. So with all that said, thank you again for being here and until next time. Scream Pod Squad.